I'd like to welcome everyone who's joining us for our live stream today. This is only one part of our service here at Chelsea Community Church, along with City Temple. If you'd like to be part of the whole thing, you can come on down in person to Chelsea Community Church at 11 a.m. on Sundays, or if you want the Zoom link, drop us an email. We'd love to send it to you. If you have your Bibles, let's turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, we'll start with verse 11 and read down to the end. Before we read, let's pray. Gracious God, thank you so much for your word. I do thank you that it is trustworthy and true. I pray now that you'd open it up to us in the power of your Holy Spirit and let your Holy Spirit rest on me to bring your word to your people today through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Peter writes, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. May God bless to us this reading from his holy word. Well, as you've gathered by now, I'm quite a fan of those 1950s, 1960s B science fiction films. And another one of the great ones. Now, you might think you don't look old enough to have watched those films when they came out. And thank you very much because I'm not that old. Uh, I'll tell you, I watched these as a child in the 1970s, uh, which, okay, that's still pretty old for some of you. Uh, I watched this as a child. Because back then, you know, you didn't have stream. You know, I'm sounding like an old man now. Back then, children, you didn't have streaming like you young people have today. 
You just had to watch whatever was on broadcast television. And that's what I did, you know. So so all these films would come on, and, and there's a lot of other ones, like The Creature from the Black Lagoon and, and Them, which is about big ants and, and that kind of thing. But The Day the Earth Stood Still, uh, that's, that's actually considered one of the greatest science fiction classics of the 1950s. It came out, I think, about 1951 in the heart of the Cold War. And it's about this, this giant spaceship that lands, I believe it's in Washington, D.C., uh, capital of the United States, lands around Washington, D.C., and this big robot comes out named Gort, uh, and uh, uh, an alien named Klaatu comes out who looks a lot like a human being, uh, very, very much like a human being, can't tell them apart. And uh, uh, Klaatu and Gort, we discover, come to the earth with a concern for humanity and its drive towards self-destruction. You know, Klaatu says, you guys have gotten weapons now and things like that, and we need to come and check it out. And so, in the, in the finest example of good uh, Americans, we bomb them. You know, we try to blow them up, we try to shoot them and kill them, as you do. Uh, but uh, but uh, uh, Gort, you know, is a super powerful robot. He dissolves the tanks without killing anybody. Kind of a neat trick, uh, if you can do that. Uh, and so the humans don't even try to understand what's going on. They don't even try to understand what's happening. But Klaatu does. And he goes out under disguise one night and intermingles with human beings trying to find, you know, uh, uh, what makes humanity tick. And obviously it just confirms, uh, uh, you know, all of, all of the bad things that they suspect. And apparently Gort is part of a, uh, a league of super robots that alien races have created in order to keep the peace in the universe. And so it's really a, quite a powerful film. I'll refer to it a couple more times. But it becomes clear when you watch this film uh, that they have a certain protocol that they have to use when dealing with human beings. You know, they don't come down as some of the, the modern alien films do and just blow people up willy-nilly. Uh, they have a protocol. Uh, they don't want to kill humanity and wipe them from the face of the earth, although they could. They have a certain way of engaging them. And in fact, when you watch alien films, almost all alien films and alien races, including those where America, uh, humans are the aliens, you know, they have a protocol for how you encounter the other species, how you engage with those who are outside your alien culture, your alien race. I mean, the most famous is probably Star Trek and what's called the Prime Directive. And in the Prime Directive, uh, it's basically that you cannot interfere with the natural evolution of another civilization. You know, because clearly uh, they could act like gods and do all kinds of, of things. And so that's the prime directive. You know, God has a prime directive too for us as Christians. And God's prime directive is that we must interfere with society and advancing the kingdom and sharing the good news. You know, it's a slightly different prime directive, but it's still there. And even we discover, even though God has that as a prime directive, there are ways that we are supposed to engage as Christians with the world around us. Now notice the progression of Peter so far in the book, in the letter. He starts out 
talking about who we are as people, as individual Christians. And he talks about how our identity in Christ is so important and how we need to behave as individual Christians just in general and especially with one another. And then he's moved in what we looked at last week with our engagement with one another as the church, that we're not just individual Christians, we are a collective. And in fact, we are an alien species. You know, literally, when we become Christians, we become a brand new ethnos, a brand new ethnic group. No longer are we primarily Latino or, or uh, I was going to say Americano, but that sounds like a coffee. Uh, <laughs> primarily Latino, Americano, or, or Russian. Uh, we're primarily Christian. And that's our allegiance. That's our identity. And that's who we are corporately. Uh, and that's why a lot of people don't want to be Christians, because they see the reality that if I become a Christian, I'm leaving my family, I'm leaving my race, I'm leaving my ethnicity and joining myself to something new and something different. And sometimes we disguise it by fellowshipping with people just like us, who look like us, who have the same color skin tone, who have the same language. But thankfully here at Chelsea and City Temple, we have a diversity of people which reminds us that we have a unique ethnos, a unique ethnic identity that we share as Christians. And so then Peter now moves on to say, now this is how you engage with the host species wherever the church is, because the church lands in a community and it's a bit like an alien spaceship. And we've lost our sense of that, but it's coming back because more and more people, they walk by churches and they say, boy, that's, that's a weird place. They do weird things in there. It's strange happenings going on there. They sing together. You know, they eat the body and blood of somebody. I, it's just, it's weird. It's weird. And it is weird. I mean, the fact that you get up early on a Sunday morning and come out to listen to somebody like me, it's kind of strange. It really is. And so Peter goes on and says, this is how you need to engage with people who are outside the faith. People who are not part of your new ethnicity called Christian, called church, people who are outside, you need to engage with them following this protocol, following these things. And so Peter gives us, and I'll go through these fairly quickly, seven different ways of engaging, seven different aspects of our engagement protocol. The first, and you can follow it in the scripture, I'm following uh, right along with the text itself. The first thing that Peter says, the first protocol, is abstain from the strong desires of the flesh. Abstain from the strong desires of the flesh. Now, I like the word a strong desire or an urge as opposed to the lust as it's in some texts because we all tend to think of lust just as a sexual thing. But this is a strong desire to do something that's propelled by the sinful aspect of our humanity. You know, even though we become the new ethnicity, we still have some remnants, you know, some remaining DNA of the old self that's there that constantly is trying to pull us away. 
And if you watch uh, a lot of alien films, uh, aliens always get in trouble when they try to mimic the humans. And usually it's a source of a lot of comedy where they try to become more human or try to, to mimic the human beings. And uh, Captain Kirk on Star Trek, he was always getting in trouble because he'd be passionate about something or he'd fall in love with an alien woman or something like that. And it just gives everybody in trouble and the Federation goes to war and all these terrible things happen. And that's, that's essentially what Peter's saying. He says, abstain from these urges to do things like everybody in your host culture are doing. Abstain from these activities. It might be, you know, sexual immorality. It might be drunkenness. It might be gluttony. Uh, anything. In fact, if you have a very strong urge about anything, you need to question whether or not it might be from the flesh. Any strong urge that you have to do something. You know, I've had people say, oh, I just, I feel like I have a word from the Lord and I just, I just absolutely have to say it. Nine times out of 10, what they really thought was a word from the Lord was a word out of their flesh. I remember one time I was praying in a circle of people. This was when I was a young believer and this was a, a pretty high powered circle of Christians. I don't remember what we were praying about, but there was one point where I just felt I really, really needed to pray. And, uh, and so when, when it came, you know, I prayed out and I prayed whatever it was that I prayed. And then one of the older men, I mean, just in a very, very gentle way, you know, just said, you know, we, we want to pray as, as led by the Spirit of God, not by our sense of urgency, with some comment like that. And I just remember that. It, it alerted me to how our flesh can even seem to impel us to do things that seem Christian, but are not. So he said, Peter says, abstain from that because the world is going to try to stimulate your desires and urges. And those, those desires of the flesh, those urges that you've got just to do something, to do something, to do something, wage war against your soul. It wages war against your mind, will, and emotions. In other words, if you are dealing with very, very strong desires, very, very strong urges, no matter what it is, it clouds your mind, your will, and emotions to function properly. And you'll do things you're not supposed to do, you'll think things you shouldn't think, and, and you'll feel things that are not true, that are not really authentic. And so we have to be careful. And the best way to deal with that is just to abstain from it, to resist it, to keep away from it, to avoid it. And when the urge calms down and you can begin to focus properly, then you can make a spirit-led decision. Does that make sense? It's key because I see so many Christians getting in trouble with this, even with unbelievers. And again, I've seen this where, where a Christian will see someone and says, oh, I just have to share the gospel. And what they do is they go to this poor non-Christian and they just dump everything on them. You know, maybe yell at them, scream at them. And the person is like, oh, I need to run away, but I'm back against the wall. And you're just thankful that you're in a culture where the people don't have weapons normally, you know, because it's a terrible thing. And it's not led by the spirit. It's led by the flesh. And we have to be careful.
So that's what Peter says. Number one, abstain from, keep away, avoid those strong desires, those urges of the flesh. Then he says, second, you need to keep, he says, keep your conduct. Well, that word conduct is talking about your lifestyle. And so we'd say this, keep your lifestyle among non-Christians honorable. We need to be living an honorable lifestyle. Honorable is something that's good, it's beautiful, and it's wise. That's what the word means. Something that is good, beautiful, and wise. As we live our lives, our lifestyle communicates everything to the people around us in ways that we don't see or understand. You know, if, if I was in certain cultures of the world, there are certain things that I would not eat or I would not drink, not because it's wrong to eat or drink those things, but because I'm, I'm in that culture and I want my lifestyle to reflect something to the other people. And so I limit my freedom for the benefit of others. We can do that. But I want my lifestyle to be good, honorable, and beautiful. That's one of the reasons why I drive a Skoda and not an Audi. You know, I, I've always wanted an Audi. Uh, and when I was looking around, I was looking at an Audi, uh, and I discovered that the Skoda has everything that I wanted. It's made by the same company. Uh, but, you know, the, the fundamental question I asked myself is, do I want to be known as a Skoda pastor or an Audi pastor? And I want to be known as a Skoda pastor because Audis communicate certain things. You know, not that it's wrong to own an Audi, and I don't begrudge anybody an Audi. Uh, and you know, if any of you have one, want to give it to me. Uh, you know, I'll receive that with joy, and I'll, uh, you know, put something that this was given to me, it's not really mine, whatever. But our lifestyle communicates. And so Peter says, keep your lifestyle, keep your, your conduct among non-Christians honorable. You know, in the day the earth stood still, one of the powerful things that you see in the film is how Klaatu acts and responds when he's attacked. He keeps calm. He doesn't get angry. He seeks to understand. It's really a, a powerful moment in the film. Uh, and Peter says, you got to do this, remembering that people are often going to speak against you as evildoers. Now, people outside, non-Christians, they look at us and they'll say, Christians are judgmental, uh, they're hypocrites, you know, they don't have fun. People are always going to say that we do evil, that we do wrong, you know, that it's wrong to share the gospel, that it's wrong to pray for people who are struggling with issues in their, in their lives. And, you know, we're always judged. We're always attacked. And so Peter says, you got to keep your lifestyle honorable because hopefully they'll see your good deeds and eventually glorify God, at least when God returns, when Jesus returns. But that's why we have to keep our lifestyle honorable amongst the non-Christians. And we should ask ourselves all these questions uh, well, about what we buy, about what we do, about how we live. Not that we allow other people to judge us, but we need to say, God, is my lifestyle honorable? Is how I'm living, does it speak who I am in Christ as the new ethnos? And then he goes on, Peter says the third thing 
is, and I'll phrase it this way, that we need to cooperate with every human institution. It says submit. And, you know, a lot of times we don't like the word submit, uh, although submit does mean submit. But to really understand submission, submission is really the spirit of cooperation. And this is where we often get it wrong, because when we hear something like submit to the human authorities, uh, we might think, well, that means that uh, we need to deny our faith if they tell us to deny our faith. No, that's not what that means at all. What Peter is saying here, what the Bible is saying, is that we need to cooperate with human institutions so that humans, so that our world has good outcomes. And what defines good outcomes, they're defined by the scriptures. And so we're cooperating to bring about good outcomes. You know, Klaatu and Gort in the, the day the earth stood still, like I said, they could just obliterate all humanity. They could have come in and wiped everyone out if they wanted to, but what do they do? They say, hey, we wanna to speak to your leaders. You know, it's that classic alien thing, take me to your leader. Uh, and so even then, you know, they're, even though they have power over them, they seek to cooperate with them. That's the same is true for us as Christians. We have power and authority in Christ, so we're seated with Christ in the heavenly places. So in a sense, we're above all human institutions. But even more then do we need to cooperate with them so that our world has good outcomes. So we work with human institutions like the supreme government, the emperor here, but that could be the president, uh, the Congress, anything like that. And the governors who punish evil and praise those who do good, that could be like your council, the police, you know, others that come into that category, other institutions. We work together with them. We cooperate with them to bring good outcomes. And we understand that they have a limit. They can't tell us how to be church. They can't tell us how to be God's people. But we want to work with them so something good will come out. And we understand that God's will is for us to do good. Because when we do good, we silence foolish and ignorant people. I mean, that's one thing. When, when people are seeing Christians in food banks passing out food and, you know, doing all these kinds of things, as we're doing good, it silences the foolish and ignorant people that think Christians are nothing more than judgmental and that kind of thing. And only doing good is going to silence them. It's not what you say. It's what you do that really matters there. Number four, Peter says, now when you're engaging with the culture around you, when you're having an encounter with those who are not part of your alien species, if you will, you need to live as people who are truly free. We have freedom in Christ. And we need to show our freedom. And one of the great illusions of the world is that the people outside of Jesus, those are the ones who are really free. They're not. They're slaves to their passion. They're slaves to their sin. You can see it because they keep doing it again and again and again and going back to it time after time. You know, they have no power not to sin. But in Christ, we are free from sin. We've been set free from its power, so we no longer have to do it. We do do it. You know, because we just stumble. I mean, we're all messed up until Jesus comes again. We do sin, but we don't have to sin. So we need to live as free people, but not as an excuse or a cover-up 
for evil. We can't do just anything we want to do. Peter wants to make that very clear. So as we're living as people who are free, we live freely as slaves of God. And that word slave there is doulos. It's, you know, a bond slave. It's the serious slave that does everything the master bids. We live as slave of God's. And we need to live freely as people of honor. And that's how I would summarize what Peter says there at the end of that. And we need to understand that honor flows down. In the world, we think of honor flowing up. Like I need to honor the police. I need to honor the governor. I need to honor the pastor. But actually, biblically, honor flows down from God. You know, I'm not craving the honor of human beings as a minister because I already have the greatest honor that I could possibly have from my Father in heaven that is to be the Son of God. And he's added on to that the honor of being able to preach the Word of God. I don't need, you know, I love it when you say, Rod, I honor you, I love you. That's, that's great. I'm not against that. I don't want you to hate me or say all kinds of mean things against me. But at the same time, I don't need the honor of a human being when I've got the honor of the Father. So honor flows down. And if you understand who you are in Christ, that you're seated with Christ in the heavenly places, that means when it comes to King Charles, our honor is flowing down to him. Although he's up there with us as one seated with Christ in the heavenly places. But you get the point. Secular governors are not above us. That's why we need to honor them. He says, Peter says, honor everyone. Why do we honor the people on the street? Why do we honor the homeless person? At least by looking them in the eye and acknowledging them as human beings. We do it because honor flows down. It doesn't flow up. And we have a responsibility living as free people to honor everyone, to, to love our brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, it's a step up from honor. Honor everyone, love our brothers and sisters in Christ. Fear God because he's the one who can take the honor away. Fear God because he's the one that can correct. And honor people in authority, the emperor. So that's living as people who are free. Then he goes on and says, servants, cooperate with your masters. Again, that's the word submit there. And the word for servants there uh, is oiketai, uh, which is the household servant. So it's not doulos. It's not the same kind of dynamic. Now, we have to understand Peter is not trying to overthrow the system. In fact, that's not our call. Jesus didn't overthrow the system, the political system that was there in place. Uh, and so Peter is telling Christians how to live in that context. In that context, you had servants and you had slaves. Uh, and Peter is telling us how to live. But his use of that word kind of points me a little bit to the modern equivalent of an employee. An employee is working for the betterment of the house, the business that employs them. And so Peter says, in your work, cooperate with your employers, cooperate with your boss. It's the spirit of cooperation. And it does involve some sense of obedience if your boss tells you to do something, as long as it's not violating who you are in Jesus Christ. And he says, show respect and cooperate with both the good and gentle and the unjust. 
Cooperate with both of them because you never know. Now, he's not saying let yourself be beaten up, you know. He's not saying let yourself be abused. He's not saying uh, let yourself, uh, you know, just, just be torn away from your faith. But we do have a responsibility to cooperate with our employer, our bosses, and others in similar kinds of authority. And then he goes on, number six, he says, mindful of God, thinking about God, endure sorrows while suffering unjustly. Boy, that's a lovely one, isn't it? That's everybody's favorite. Oh, I want to suffer more, right? Now, the endure sorrows, that's grief or pain or difficulty. You know, so what he's saying is endure the troubles you have. Endure, endure the fact that sometimes it just doesn't feel good. Endure the fact that sometimes it's wrong how you're treated. Endure the sorrows while suffering unjustly. I think it's a powerful thing. In the day the earth stood still, uh, Klaatu, he's seeking to do good, but toward the end of the film, he's shot and killed. He's murdered. But that's where Gort comes in, and Gort's alerted to this, uh, and then Gort goes to him, he's brought to Gort, and Gort is able to resurrect him just before they ascend back into the heavens. Now, isn't that an amazing thing? Does it sound like something else? Jesus dying on the cross, being dead, rising from the dead to give a final message and then ascending into the heaven. Not to say that Jesus was an alien, by the way, so don't get that. But that's really the power of the film. It's, it's a film about the gospel for those who can see and those who can hear. We don't get any credit for messing up and suffering for it. A lot of times I see Christians who whine and whinge because they've sinned and then they're suffering the consequences and they're blaming God for it. And most of the time I like to, I, I find it's easier for them to discover that than for me to tell them that. Because people don't generally like to say, well, you know, it's your own fault and you know, don't whine at God, just whine at yourself because you messed up your own life. You know, that's not the easiest thing to say. But you don't get credit uh, if you sin and suffer for it, so definitely don't blame God. But if you do good and suffer for it, that's gracious in God's sight. And our God is calling us to endure suffering just like Jesus endured suffering. And number seven, remember Christ suffered for us leaving an example so that we might follow in his steps. You know, the life of Jesus is an example for how we can live our lives. And we can live the life of Jesus because we have the same spirit of God that was in Jesus as in us. Even though God was fully God and fully human, he still was empowered by the Holy Spirit. And the spirit of God dwells in us. And Jesus dwells in us so that we can live his life, so that we can follow his example by God's grace through faith. That's the promise for us. Jesus is our pattern for living like an alien in this world. Because really, when you look at his life, it seems very much like an alien, but it wasn't. It wasn't. And Jesus is our pattern for living now. He committed no sin and he spoke no deceit. 
That's a challenge for us to do the same. He did not revile when he was reviled. That's a big thing. And the Lord is, you know what, for me, the Lord has been calling me out, even on my own personal attitude about things. So if somebody says or does something that makes me upset and kind of gets my anger rising up within me, and I start to think a harsh thought, the Lord has been rebuking me even on that lately. Not even when I do, but even when I'm thinking. And that's really annoying when he does that, but it's good. It's good. Jesus didn't revile when he was reviled. He didn't threaten when he was suffered. He didn't say, I'm going to sue you. I'm going to take you to court. I'm going to call the police on you. I'm going to do these kinds of things. He continually entrusted himself to God, the just judge. He knew that God was the only one who could make the wrong things right. He bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. He's made the way for us to live our lives productively and fruitfully, even in an alien society. And by his wounds, we have been healed. The healing has already been affected for us. Even if we don't experience it fully on this side of heaven, we have already received it in Jesus Christ. Even when we were straying, we've returned to the shepherd and overseers of our soul by the power of God in the Holy Spirit. Jesus has shown us how to live as a stranger and alien in this world. Peter gives us very clear guidance and protocol. Peter shows us how to engage with others in this world that we are temporarily living in. And so we are called to rejoice in the excellencies of Jesus. We are called to follow Jesus and follow the counsel of Peter. I think one of the great moments at the end of the day the earth stood still, after Klaatu has been brought back from the dead by Gort, he's told it, he, he tells the people it's only temporary, but he looks at the people and he says to the people of earth, he says, your choice is simple. Join us and live in peace or pursue your present course and face obliteration. We shall be waiting for your answer. And at that moment, Klaatu and Gort depart from the saucer. You know what? That's what Jesus says. Jesus says, hey, people, people of the earth, people outside, join with my people. Join through Jesus by grace through faith. Join and experience my shalom. Experience my peace. Live in peace. Because you don't want to face the alternative. But the grace is here now. And the sign of grace in your midst is my people. The challenge is what Jesus gives to all of us. And the challenge is what's embodied here in the Lord's Supper. Every time we eat the bread and drink the cup, we're participating in what Jesus Christ did on the cross and in the empty tomb. Every time we eat the bread and drink the cup, we're receiving the shalom, the peace of God in Jesus Christ all over again. Every time we eat the bread and drink the cup, we're stepping into yet again the new life, the new existence that we have in Jesus Christ as a race of strange aliens here in this world, but as a race of strange aliens that are offering the good news to the world around us. Let's pray. Lord God, we honor you, we worship you, and we adore you.
We thank you for loving us. We thank you for giving us very clear protocol and how we should engage with this world around us so that we can be fruitful and faithful in living our lives as sojourners, as stranger aliens in this world. Help us to do so with grace and peace and faith to the glory and honor of Jesus. Now come, Lord God, attend to us here in this place. Bless this bread and this cup and the bread and the cup of anybody joining us via Zoom. Bless it so that it becomes for us truly the body and blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Use these elements, this sacrament, to renew our spirits in the abiding grace you've given us through your son Jesus, to refresh us in your love and mercy, to unite us more closely in brotherly love for one another and in worship of you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We honor and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I need a couple of Olashina. Can you?